We're a very trade-centred economy that maintains, firstly, a very stable political framework, an international financial hub, efficient infrastructure, as well as a whole host of commercial attributes that really rank very highly in global uh, business efficiency uh, surveys and rankings and so forth. You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Hello, everybody. My name is Eugene. I am the CEO of Interactive Brokers Singapore. And uh, with me today is uh, Jeff Howie, uh, whom I've actually worked with uh, back in the day uh, in the Singapore Exchange. Uh, Jeff, uh, would you give us a brief introduction of yourself, please? Yeah, Eugene, uh, it's great to be with you. I have uh, 25 years of experience in financial markets. Uh, I've had the last 12 and a half years, so half of that career now, at Singapore Exchange. And I guess my role does parallel a lot what IBKR campus does look to uh, achieve in that I work with investors every day really in helping to improve their understanding of our markets and obviously uh, keep on top of all the current events that are impacting our markets. And it's an incredibly diverse stock market, uh, very dynamic, and uh, I look forward to sharing more with you tonight. Yeah, well, thank, thank you very much for that. Um, so, so some of you may not know, uh, Jeff is actually, you know, a borderline celebrity in Singapore. He does a lot of radio shows. Uh, he gets interviewed on, on, on the news media. So, yeah, you know, he, he does have a very respected and very informed opinion of the market. So I guess my first question today to Jeff would be that, you know, some of our listeners may not be familiar uh, with the Singapore stock market, the Singapore economy, or mm. even as a country as, you know, as a country. So for their benefit, uh, what do you think are the main sectors, perhaps, uh, and the main forces that drive the, the Singapore stock market? Well, I guess the foundation that this stock market is built on is very important because a lot of the day-to-day economic forces that really drive the Singapore economy do extend into our stock market. So, for instance, our GDP is, I think, $400 billion US dollars. We are a very trade-centered economy that maintains, firstly, a very stable political framework, an international financial hub, efficient infrastructure, as well as a whole host of commercial attributes that really rank very highly in global uh, business efficiency uh, surveys and rankings and so forth. So what we have is a stock market with a primary listing size of, in total, around 500 billion US dollars. And then we have another 140 billion US dollars of value in secondary listings. And the majority, I guess, of our GDP here in Singapore is generated through services. Around 70% of the GDP is through services. And that obviously has a really big impact on our stock market too. We have a number of companies that are involved in all different consumer services, financial services, industrial services, healthcare, technology, and so forth. So uh, one, I guess the key first, Fred, is that you have that uh, service-orientated stock market. 
Manufacturing is also a very important part, and by coincidence, manufacturing makes up 20% of our GDP. It makes up 20% of our day-to-day turnover in terms of the manufacturing sector of stocks. But the, uh, I guess what at the moment in terms of what is impacting both these sectors is those familiar fronts that we're seeing, those familiar headwinds of weaker external outlook uh, and tighter financial conditions. So what we've seen in our stock market is they have been increasingly or determinedly uh, look towards next year. And thankfully, the IMF maintained that both Singapore and our region of Southeast Asia will actually see growth acceleration next year. In fact, we are expected to grow in Singapore. Our GDP is expected to grow 1% this year and then more than double up to about 2% next year. And it really um, is in line with the region, which is expected to grow at 4.5% next year as well. However, obviously, you have the bigger, broader picture, and that is uh, obviously China and Japan, United States expected to see some growth deceleration. So all in all, we have seen the STI relatively flat because of the outlook for 2024, while Singapore is looking to uh, see growth acceleration, you still have these external headwinds. And thus the STI, while it was the second best performing stock market last year, has generated more flat returns, I think a 2% total return as of the close of business today for the year to date. And that brings its uh, total return since the end of 2019 to 15%. But that still beats the APAC region, which is up 5%. Okay, so so that's very interesting. Uh, anyway, just a point of clarification for our listeners: uh, the STI is the Straits Times Index, so this is the benchmark for Singapore equities, and it comprises what what, what was it twenty eight thirty uh, blue chip 30. stocks? Yep, thirty of the largest uh, Singaporean companies. Um, they are listed on the Singapore Exchange. Okay, so so wow, well, uh, you know there, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, maybe you know we can we can look at it at the broadest level which is, you know, you mentioned that, well, you know, Singapore will be affected to a certain extent by uh, what's happening around the world, given, you know, the relative size of its economy. Um, you said about 400 billion uh, US dollars um, in the, in the uh, as annual GDP, and also about 500 billion uh, US dollars uh, of stock market capitalization. So not uh, too small in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, compared with the major economies, the G10s around the world. Uh, obviously not uh, of the same scale, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so how would you say Singapore would be affected by things in 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 the larger economy, such as you know the 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 Fed's uh, the, the FOMC policy? Do you think that you know any changes in the US uh, Fed funds rate will will impact the Singapore economy? Yeah, uh, it does. Um, in fact. There's a there's a uh, trio of banks that make up 45% of our STI, and these are among Southeast Asia's five biggest stocks as well. Uh, DBS Group Holdings, Oversea uh, Chinese Banking Corporation, as well as United Overseas Bank, and they make up 45% of the STI, and they also make up about 25 cents in every dollar that goes to work in our stock market every day. They're soon going to be providing their third quarter earnings reports. But what's interesting is that interest rates really matter because the net interest income that this trio of banks uh, basically generate 
makes up more than two-thirds of their total income. And the net interest income is, of course, that net difference between what banks pay on their liabilities to the rates they actually receive on assets. And the higher the overnight rates, policy rates, the generally higher is that net difference. And, and, and this has been the main force as to why these companies are making record profits. The, the, uh, what are the trio uh, reported combined net interest income of 8.26 billion Singapore dollars in the second quarter of this year. Um, for context, this was the third consecutive quarter that their combined net uh, interest income on a quarterly basis was reported above the $8 billion mark. And um, the trio, they broke above the $5 billion mark back in the first quarter of 2018. And the quarterly net interest income ranged between $5 billion and $6 billion sing dollars for just over four years, right through to the first quarter of 2022, before then breaking above the $6 billion mark in the second quarter of last year. And as I said, for the last uh, three quarters, you're above $8 billion. So this is really uh, an important cornerstone for the STI and our broader stock market, just as uh, financial services and Singapore operating a very competitive financial hub is super important for the economy. Well, thanks for that. I'm glad you brought up uh, interest rates. The, uh, the, the really high Fed funds rate um, has allowed us uh, in interactive brokers also to to, to pay 4.83% um, mm. on uh, US dollars uh, kept with us. So, you know, I, I, I see it as this rising tide of interest rates. Um, yes, you know, it, it does impact some areas of the economy. Uh, yes, there is some concern that this might cause a recession. Uh, but at the same time, you know, for, for a lot of investors, you know, the ability to put, a, to put cash with a bank or with interactive brokers, and, and earn a really good interest rate, I think that has helped them to kind of alleviate, uh, you know, some of the, the pain that uh, we feel from higher mortgages and, and actually higher prices overall. So, okay, so that's for interest rates. Uh, you also mentioned earlier uh, that, uh, you know, Singapore sits within Asia and ASEAN. Uh, what would you think, you know, the macroeconomic outlook in Asia, in particular with what's going on in China, the, the emergence of India, and the other growth economies in ASEAN. Um, how do you think this would impact the uh, Singapore stock market? It does It does have an impact. Um, trade and manufacturing, or otherwise referred to as industrial production, in Singapore have both been in contraction for the past 12 months. And trade has also been in contraction in South Korea and Taiwan for that matter, because they really do hinge uh, somewhat on demand for electronics and the China slowdown. Uh, our NODEX, nominal domestic exports, uh, that we report monthly was down, I think, 14%, 13 to 14% year on year in September. And the S&P Global ASEAN Manufacturing PMI for September also tipped below the 50.0 neutral mark for the first time in September since October of 2021. Uh, And the most contractions were seen in Malaysia, Singapore and Thailand. So there has been this slowdown. And as you you next asked, how does it impact stocks? Well, as I said before, the manufacturing stocks, uh, we have about 110 of them that represent all the different six clusters of our industrial production. And um, they make up around 21 cents in every dollar that goes to work in our stock market every day, around 17% of total market capitalization. 
Uh, and in the year to date, they're actually down 5% in total return. And that trims their total return since the end of 2019 to around 15%. But when manufacturing uh, was able to continue its pace in 2020-2021, given the strategic importance of manufacturing and then it wasn't consumer-facing per se, um, you had gains from the end of 2019 to uh, to April 2021 for our manufacturing stocks that was something like 40%. So they have come off um, some high, higher cyclical, stronger performances that we saw uh, a couple of years back, the index itself PB ratio is in line with all the uh, all the major uh, regional indices. And what's interesting is not all stocks in that index though have felt the brunt of the pressures that we're seeing in trade and manufacturing. The index has booked something like six million Singapore dollars of net institutional outflow so far in the year to date, and that's not too much when you consider. The overall market in Singapore has seen something like two billion Singapore dollars of net institutional outflow. We've seen Cetrium lead the net institutional outflow, which is a MOE uh, company that has really been pivoting towards sustainable solutions. You have ST Engineering, our major manufacturing company here in Singapore, UMS, which is provides integrated services in for semiconductors. Uh, Tianjin Jiangsin Pharmaceutical, which provide, which actually generates most of its revenue in Chinese medicine, and then you have AM Holdings, which provides testing solutions for semiconductor companies. Uh, those stocks have been booking the highest net inflow, uh, while there's a bunch of stocks also that have been booking outflow. And why? Because that status quo of this uneven. Uh, and I guess overall slowing growth on the back of the title financial conditions does continue. And we've got on the positive side of things, uh, and this is, as I said before, these markets are increasingly looking towards 2024. Uh, we had the IMF release its World Economic Outlook last week. We had World Trade Organization also do the same. And WTO maintained that global merchandise trade Volume growth will actually accelerate to 3.3% next year, up from eight tenths of a percent this year. Singapore's total trade, that's exports plus imports, is very high. It's around three times the global average and four times the average for Asia. So uh, to highlight the importance of trade, as I said before, we're a 400 billion US economy. That ranks us as the 30th biggest economy in the world. But for merchandise trade, we're actually the globe's 16th, 16th largest exporter and 16th largest importer by value. And that's because of the crucial role that Singapore plays in regional supply chains and re-exports. For instance, Singapore imports machinery, it refines and works on the intermediate product, and then it exports that intermediate product to another country before that equipment eventually reaches its final buyer. Uh, UMS Holdings, which I mentioned before, it highlighted back in August that it had successfully renewed its integration system contract with its key customer until the end of 2025. So there's a green shoot, and that has been reflected in the price of UMS since. And as the global organization SEMI uh, noted last month, we've got the softening chip demand 
and the elevated in, uh, elevated inventory of um, consumer mobile devices contributing to this 15% decline in global um, fabrication and equipment spending for the front end facilities this year. But it's expected to rebound by 15% next year. Most associations on the semiconductor stage do project semiconductor sales to keep growing, I think up into the vicinity of one trillion US dollars by 2030. And that's really applied materials, which is listed in the US, for instance, had noted in the third quarter, that's on the back of the Internet of Things and the AI era driving this new wave of industrial growth and innovation. So the challenges have been there, as I said, that the, the, the trade contractions that we've seen have impacted orders. You've had higher costs as well uh, that do help to reduce those margins for the companies, unfortunately. Uh, but recently, as we said, some green shoots have seen the pendulum more move back to the right with a number of our semiconductor companies basically picking up some momentum that we saw last week. MAS survey, our central bank has also released an economic survey recently uh, showing that better than expected external growth, more robust growth in China, as we saw today, the number was a little higher than expectations, and uh, technolo technology cycle recovery do provide the upside risks for the Singapore economy. So I think that better outlook for global trade and some encouraging news on the tech cycle has been pretty much reflected in recent performance and participation we've seen in these key sectors, Eugen, that really cover the manufacturing as well as the trade focus. On the trade side, I should mention that that SDI index that we do have, it is 30 stocks. And when you look at all the weights of each of those stocks, and then you look at the annual reports and see where in the world those companies are generating their revenue, 49% of the revenue is booked to Singapore, 51% is booked outside Singapore, the majority is Asia Pacific, in particular those countries where Singapore has its highest, biggest trade partners, such as China, Hong Kong, Thailand, Indonesia and Malaysia. I will say a couple of things. First, uh, if anybody was playing AI bingo, uh, we have our first hit, so Jack mentioned AI. And uh, I suppose that is driving some demand for, for the chips and the semiconductor industry, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that, that is, well, it, it, it's not enough yet to provide an overall bid tone to global uh, technology stocks. We had the 5G provide the big global bid tone back in 2019, but we do have an element of fragmentation now in the market. So what you see in the US, China, as well as Southeast Asia, is a little bit more dispersion in the performances and the uh, potential for 5G is yet to offset that full weighing of the market that's come with the uh, heavy inventories that the companies have been carrying. Yeah, I think this some of this is, is probably a holdover uh, from the uh, from the production capacity that has been built up, you know, over COVID and over, um, the, shall I say, the digital asset uh, um, craze uh, back, back in the day. Um, of course, the market is a lot more quiet now for this, for digital assets, uh, which, which I suppose will be part of the reason why, you know, we've got a whole bunch of chips sitting around and, you know, wait, waiting for new applications and, and new users uh, to, to come in, right, in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely uh, an incredible 
industry to watch right now. Uh, and, and that doubling up of the the amount of sales associated with semiconductors basically going from, I think it was in the vicinity of 570 billion US dollars last year, and then up to $1 trillion by 2030. Um, you, you, you and I have worked at SGX. We saw the, the, the massive growth of ETFs, for instance. Uh, so when you're looking at products and you're looking at upstream and industries that are look to basically grow their businesses in line with this overall demand, uh, it's really exciting and, and quite compelling to, to, to follow. And obviously you have to keep on top of what, what, what's happening. Okay, so, so Jeff, uh, we've dug pretty deep in, into this idea of technology and semiconductors. I, I want at this point to kind of take a little step back and talk about manufacturing again. But from, I just wanted to get uh, your your take on this, right? Which is, you know, when you talk about manufacturing, people think manufacturing, uh, especially in certain parts of Asia, uh, you are talking about shoes, uh, clothes, bags, uh, basic stuff like that. Um, but I guess the Singapore economy is a little bit different, like you had uh, spoken briefly about. Um, we do a lot of, uh, we, we take in complex machinery, make it even more complex, uh, add value to that, and then we, we export that. So would you say that the manufacturing sector in the, in the Singapore stock market uh, represents, I suppose, a little bit of a gradient, right? You have, you've got a really high-tech stuff, and then you have the more you know basic necessities uh, type of things. The... Chinese medicine provider that I, I was talking about before, um, Tianjin Darintang, the Tianjin Pharma Darintang uh, is the company. And I'm uh, going off memory here, but it closed last year at a dollar thirteen US one US dollar and thirteen cents, and is up in the vicinity of seventy percent so far this year, up 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 around up close to one dollar eighty US. That uh, company's net profit for the first half of this year was up 49%. And it has been basically on the right side of reforms in the mainland to basically clean, not clean up, but basically to to uh, make sure that Chinese medicines sold over the counter are, are, are the appropriately regulated ones per se. So it's an example of a, of a, I guess, more of a consumer healthcare product, but something that has seen the stock. Basically, its trading turnover has more, grown more than fourfold this year because it's come into a lot of relevance uh, based on, you know, basically China economic policy, China economic cycles, uh, it's 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 reported you know, net profit growth, and it, it's ticked many boxes for investors to participate, and 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 thus is now I guess what is it a top eighty stock by turnover on the stock market. Um, so it's yeah it's an example of uh, of just how unique some of the manufacturing companies that we have listed uh, can be, and sometimes it's great to be able to look beyond the benchmark with an index and delve into these names. And I did say this is an iEdge index and the iEdge is uh, index business owned by SGX. And what we are able to do is basically provide all the customers with the full listing of the 110 names, break it up into sectors. Uh, anyone who wants to know what these 110 stocks that make up 20% of our turnover, 
what they are, what their businesses are, where their um, target prices are, for instance, if they are covered by uh, enough research analysts. We've got all that information. And I think that is really, really super important to help, uh, as I said before, like IBKR Campus uh, to help the investors understand our markets and just how relevant, okay, biotech's an important part of manufacturing. Chinese medicine is not necessarily a biotech, but it is it is uh, obviously very relevant to it. Uh, and just being able to help investors connect the dots from what's happening, you know, from a manufacturing perspective in Singapore or in China or Southeast Asia, and connect those dots to the actual businesses that are also enshrined in those industries is super important. And having a manufacturing index and and being able to show, as we said, the all the valuations and the trading turnover associated with those stocks and is uh, is what we do here. Okay, well, thanks for that. And and yeah, you know, I completely agree. Um, it is important to, to get as much um, transparency on the data as we possibly can out there. Um, some of this, you know, it comes back down to I think what you mentioned brief, very briefly earlier, which is about ESG. Right, and uh, since we're on the topic of manufacturing, would you say that you know there is a an increasing slant towards you know making manufacturing more sustainable? There's this has been a really important part of our market this year, uh, and I'm not talking about companies that are producing. You know, the 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 the, ma- the major companies that are all reporting their um, sustainability metrics and reducing their footprints and so forth. But the companies that are actually involved in the infrastructure bill and the infrastructure build is is has been a really important part. Uh, in fact, uh, probably 15 cents in the dollar that goes to work in our stock market this year has been in companies that are pivoting towards providing sustainable solutions. You know, to achieve 2030 sustainable development goals uh, or net zero emissions by 2050. I think the uh, the UNEP they they estimate that significant investment that has to go into infrastructure is a pretty pretty high bill. I think OECD estimated at seven trillion US a year for infrastructure to meet the development goals. Uh, and what we've seen in the corporate world in Singapore is multiple Singapore listed stocks pursuing these strategic pivots to providing sustainable infrastructure and more fuel efficient transportation and offshore offshore, uh, solutions. Citrium has ranked our sixth most traded stock this year. It has a net order book uh, in its MOE uh, business of close to 20 billion Singapore dollars, projects lined up all the way through to 2030, and 40% of that order book is in renewables or cleaner green solutions. And I think New Order wins in the first half of this year. It actually uh, included Citrium's largest offshore renewable project yet. Yangtze Jiang Shipbuilding, these are STI stocks. Yangtze Jiang Shipbuilding has been our eighth most traded stock this year. And it made a breakthrough into clean energy vessels, uh, I think, last year. And that really, in addition to, I should say, this, this dual fuel vessel demand being in play as well, those two factors really did drive its high order wins last year. So its total outstanding order book, it's around 15 billion US dollars, uh, around 180 vessels. There's about half of which are container ships. 
But importantly, the clean energy vessel orders have seen a significant increase. So they now represent 56% of Youngsie's Young shipbuilding contract order book. Uh, and that compares to something like 23% back at the end of June last year. So that's really picked up. Uh, and, and one thing, of course, is being on the right side of the regulations where IMO, the group maintained, have put out increased uh, clarity on the whole green transition for the ship shipping industry. Uh, so therefore, the company has looked to strengthen its green technologies and so forth. Uh, so that's that they're, they're obviously looking at sustainable solutions and then you can there's another cup there's another two sti stocks that are actually looking uh into providing the sustainable power keppel corporation has ranked our 11th most traded stock this year and its infrastructure division makes up two-thirds of its revenue which consists of an integrated power business a decarbonization and a sustainable solutions business now for the first half of the year the renewable energy portfolio had grown to, grown to three gigawatts, and that made up around 60% of its total energy portfolio. Uh, to, close to two gigawatts was solar, wind was close to one gigawatt, hydropower was a little bit. That's that's four. That's what, total energy portfolio of 4.9 gigawatts on a gross basis. So it includes what's under development as well as what's 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 also up and running. I think 36% is under development for Keppel. Um, so, and then you've got the, the next one, which is Semcorp Industries, and that's ranked our 13th most traded stock this year. So these four stocks in total, as I said, make up around close to 15% of our day-to-day -day turnover. They added two gigawatts of renewable projects in the first half. So it's gross renewables capacity, gross, i.e. under development, as well as um, operational. Uh, total is around 11.9 gigawatts for, for the renewables capacity, and you've got 8.6 gigawatts, which is already installed of those 11.9. So that makes up around 60% of its total uh, energy portfolio, which is a bit above 19 gigawatts. Um, so for the 8.6 gigawatts of installed gross capacity that Semcorp has, 5.4 gigawatts is in China, 2.3 gigawatts is in India. And they, this company is also, this is part of this big strategic transformation as touted a few years ago. It wants the Semcorp want to grow its net profit contribution from sustainable solutions to 70% by 2025. Okay, that is really want to kind of qualify though, because I'm talking gigawatts uh, and Back to the Future was 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 my generation, Eugene. Maybe not yours. So, <laughs> no, you might as well, right? <laughs> so I might as well, yeah. But on the on so so when it comes to renewable energy, it's not like conventional energy because it doesn't renewables doesn't not have base load, so it doesn't always generate electricity twenty four hour twenty four seven. You've also got a uh, plant load factor as well, and the uh, power generation for a renewable energy asset, you know, particularly for let's say solar, it has these irradiance levels that you have to contend with. So uh, an indicative guide for plant load factor for a solar asset could be, you know, around 12 to 15% thereabouts for a solar asset here in Singapore. Um, so if you assume Singapore has one of the highest home ownership rates in the world because of the HDB program, and the HDB flat is, uh, you know, it's good enough for a family, usually four bedroom, two bathroom, uh, and some of them are, you know, they are amazing flats in terms of the way they're built these days. And, and this is all part of ensuring uh, Singaporeans have their own home. Uh, now, for one of those flats, 
if you can take one of those flats and you want to work out, okay, how much of these solar gigawatts can actually power flats, 1.0 gigawatt of power could power over 270,000 full-room HDB flats in a year. So, you know, as I said, Semcorp's uh, solar is, my, is, is obviously more in China and, is, you know, basically it's got some renewable in India. But just, just for context, if you're looking to see how much one gigawatt of solar power could power, you're looking at around something like around 200, a quarter of a million, a little over a quarter of a million four-bedroom units in a year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and just to close that off, uh, and again, for, for context for some of our listeners, uh, I would say that um, I, there are maybe like a million you know, flats built by the government in Singapore. 90% of Singaporeans live in government housing. Uh, it, it means something here a little bit different from overseas. The, the housing here, uh, I think, like you said, Jeff, is it, high quality and it's really to ensure that everybody ha- has a roof over their head. Right. And, so, and great, great, great food. Hawker markets downstairs too. Best, <laughs> best food. So yeah. any, anyone wants to come and visit, Eugene and I will uh, will join you yeah. for a meal. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll take you out. You know, we'll show you the views. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, what you're saying is that four gigawatts of of um, you know solar or, or other sustainable electricity can basically power you know all you know ninety percent of, of of the residences in Singapore, right? Something like that. Yeah, and I think this has been a, like a super exciting part of our market. You know, I've mentioned where these companies rank in terms of day-to-day turnover, uh, and they have been ranking more highly this year. Uh, obviously, the risks of a disorderly transition could be gradually building in the marketplace, and uh, these stocks, uh, Semcorp Industries, Capital Corp, have been our strongest uh, so far in the SDI this year in terms of performances. Yangtze Jung as well has has, has performed well and was was uh, has performed um, quite well since the end of 2019. Uh, Citrium is more flat, but Citrium has also uh, ascended to actually join the SDI this year as well. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely right. And I think what's what's super fascinating to me is how um, these things compound and they kind of take some time to compound, right? Like yeah. for example. Uh, Singapore for the longest time has been a huge uh, LNG, so liquefied uh, natural gas hub. So that's a cleaner type of, of fuel. Um, it's been it's been a hub in the region for you know coming to thirty years, uh, I think. But you've never really heard about it until now, where you know I uh, it feels like we've reached some sort of tipping point with the shipping companies, the ship manufacturers, and the the people who create the demand for for these uh, big cargo carriers right and uh you know suddenly everything is is coming together and clicking basically right yeah um, yeah and it, and it can take time it take time take can take a lot of uh, time for things to happen but yeah definitely exciting uh but we also have uh when it does take time for things to click we do have uh, a string of derivatives uh, a, a lot of a, a suite of many derivative type of products and security products here listed on sgx that have a little bit more leverage so that when things are moving a little bit slower and when you have the investors who know our markets, they can obviously take some portfolio management tools such as uh, daily leverage certificates and expand their uh, returns, but also take on more risk at the same time. Yeah, while doing so responsibly, I'm very sure. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so I think we've we've got time for one um, last quick question, which is uh, what other um, developments have you seen in the local stock or capital markets uh, that you want to talk about today? Yeah, productization does continue here pretty strong. Uh, we have 
nine and soon to be 10 China-focused exchange-traded funds. I think the AUM's around 1.6 billion Singapore dollars. We've also launched Thai Singapore depository receipts in May. So our three inaugural Thai SDRs was the airports of Thailand, CPE all and PTT exploration production. Airports of Thailand is the largest publicly traded company in Thailand. Uh, it's the world's largest airport operated by market cap as well. So it operates, I think, six international airports that account for more than 80% of the air traffic in Thailand. PTTEP is ASEAN's largest listed petroleum exploration and production upstream company. CPE All is the sole operator of 7-Eleven convenience stores in Thailand as well. Now, those three are also the three biggest stocks of the MSCI Thailand index, and that's the three that we've uh, initially launched in May, and we'll continue to to, la- to launch more SDRs as the uh, as we move into 2024. Okay, well, thanks for that. Thanks for that. And you know that that sounds like a very diverse, not just in terms of uh, sectors, but also in terms of geography and uh, exposure to underlying you know revenue and business, right? Yeah, and, and that I think is is really the Singapore story. Like you said, you know, trade um, and trade flows is a big part of the economy whether it comes to services, manufacturing, or even the capital markets. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time, Jeff Harvey. I hope you know our listeners have had uh, a good overview and introduction uh, to Singapore and the economy and the stock market. And uh, you know, if, if there are any topics that we discussed today that you'd like to go into more detail on, please reach out, let us know, and uh, we will be very happy to do another session. Okay. Well, thank, thank you. you very much for your time, Jeff. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts. As always, we have more episodes at ibkrpodcasts.com. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education materials, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary, seek professional advice.